everybody. I'm Sophie. And I'm Gemma. And this is True Crime Say What, the show where I know what I'm talking about. And I'm just here for the ride. All right. Uh, so without further ado, today we will be discussing an unsolved case. Uh, I'm Ooh. very excited because I love me an unsolved case. Uh, and... Um, I just want to take a little break from the more depressing episodes, especially because my roommate Cheyenne has a knack for recommending the most depressing episodes and cases. Thanks, Cheyenne. Thank you, Cheyenne. Uh, so <laughs> this week and our next week's episode will be a little more on the lighter side, uh, gearing up for that murder case that she recommended, which Cheyenne, if you're listening, which I know you are, it's coming. But I just, I needed a moment, okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes. Can we not time that one with finals week, though? Can we okay, yeah. We'll, not we'll, do that to me? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get love. together and make sure that that doesn't happen <laughs> as well. But today, we are going to be talking about an unsolved case, and it's the case of the body of Summerton Beach. Okay. It is a cold case that actually had a very exciting development back in August of this year. So it's something that we're still talking about today. Ah. Hmm. So let's go ahead and begin. On December 1st, 1940. Let's jump right into it. Let's, let's jump right in. Let's go. <laughs> I think, no, I literally wrote, without further ado. <laughs> I was I was drinking water, so I couldn't react to that uh, quickly, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Uh, December 1st, 1948 was turning out to be a pretty typical day for residents of Adelaide, Australia. We're all the way on the other side of the planet this week. <laughs> That's the other side, Upside right? Upside down. Yes. Okay. Uh, the, like, the land down under, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're upside down. How do they stay there? <laughs> I was I was just telling someone the other day, like, dad used to have friends on Facebook in Australia, and they would always post about Christmas, like, a day before yes. us. And I'd always be like, Joe's in Australia. But like, wow, if I was in Australia, I'd, it'd already be Christmas. It would be Christmas today. <laughs> we also have yeah. uh, cousins in Australia. Yes, we do. Shout out to them. I don't know if they want their names on the internet, so I will. Um, no, no, don't, don't name <laughs> yeah. drop them. Um, the only strange occurrence actually came the night before when two separate couples who were out walking during the early evening hours said they saw a smartly dressed man slumped against the seawall of um, Somerton Beach. Uh, so that was, like, the only weird thing. They both were like, uh, it's probably just some local drunk and just kept walking. So, you know. <laughs> uh, but the 1st of December brought the first day of summer uh, and in the southern hemisphere. Because, you know, we're flipped around. Um, <laughs> to most residents of Adelaide, this meant getting into the spirit of the summer holidays, you know, hitting the beach mainly hitting the beach because you know this is a coastal city so that's one of the big things that you can do in adelaide um 
Savile Beachgoer of Somerton Park Beach found a little more than they were bargaining for that day. Uh, instead of finding, you know, an abandoned beach ball, maybe a sun hat, several residents spotted a body slumped against the seawall, which turned out to be a very dead body. Ooh. Yeah. It's not good. So it's not really clear whether or not the, bo- the guy was alive when the two couples saw him earlier that evening, or the day before, but he's definitely dead now, Damn. so let's get into that. Um, <laughs> the body of the mystery man was uh, lying with its eyes wide open in his best suit. Literally every single thing I read about this was talking about how nice his suit was, so people took notice of that. There was a half-smoked cigarette that had fallen from his mouth to rest on the collar of his suit. It appeared to be a man of his in his 40s and 50s, and this is where the main mystery of the story comes from, um, which is, who the hell is this guy, and uh, how did he die? And we have not had the answer to that question for the past 74 years. Huh. Uh, the reality of the situation was that like, no one knew who this was, no one could pinpoint how he died, it was just a complete mystery to everyone involved. And also it's 1948, mm-hmm. so the technology we have to find these people, you know, not the greatest. Um, this man's identity and death would be the object of speculation and theorizing, making him one of the most well John Doe's to this day, which is ironic because, you know, when you're a John Doe, we don't know who you are. No? Okay. Oh, uh, I, I got it. I just... It just wasn't funny. <laughs> okay, like, the way you said it, you, like, bulldozed the word well-known. Oh. So... <laughs> well. <laughs> Ribbed. Yeah, it's okay. But, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves with anything. Let's talk more about the strange evidence that was surrounding this man's body and what was happening on that day. Also, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but this will probably be a shorter episode. You know, little quick one, especially because it's not solved. Um, yeah, damn. There will not be a, a, a nice conclusion. <laughs> uh, when a police... When police arrived on the scene and started to examine the body, as well as the surrounding area, they found some very confusing evidence, to say the least. Um, In the pocket of the man's suit, they found a bus and train... Excuse me. They found a bus ticket, as well as a train ticket. There was... uh, They found a bus and a train. Yeah. A bus and a train, just in his pocket. In in this dude's pocket. Yep. You know... (laughs) Men's pockets are so deep. Right? Gosh. There was some chewing gum, some matches, two separate combs, and a package of cigarettes. Uh, There was no wallet, no cash, not any type of ID, obviously. Um, The tags from the man's suit had been cut off, so the suit he was wearing, the uh, tags on the inside had been cut off. Uh, this was significant because in the 40s, you used to write your name and, like, your phone number in the suit. So, like, if it got mm. lost, if you lost your suit jacket, then it could be returned to you. But it doesn't have that. So, who the hell are you? <laughs> Somebody took every measure. 
Yeah, someone was like, no one's finding out who the hell this is. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And that was pretty much it for the initial discoveries. They were like, we have a dead body, um, he has this shit in his pocket, and nothing else. Um, there was not a lot that authorities could go off of at all. Um, the body, aside from not being alive anymore, seemed virtually unharmed. Uh, there were no bruises or wounds or anything that could determine the cause of death just by looking at it. Authorities initially suspected either the death was caused by a natural cause, like a heart attack or something, or some more subtler form of death, such as poisoning. Hmm. Yeah. That's a real thinker. <laughs> uh, really no details. Literally none <laughs> like this case and then when we get more into it there are details but they also just make no sense <laughs> like this case is very weird and just bizarre and that's why I wanted to talk about it mainly mm. <laughs> uh, either way they were unsure of the manner of death before you know getting it to like an autopsy situation where they could check that out um Authorities and medical professionals were further baffled when an autopsy brought back inconclusive results. So, <laughs> even when they cut him open, they could not determine how he died. They were like, nah. They were like, uh, I don't know, bro. Mm, <laughs> beats me. Um, there was no evidence of any natural cause of death, but there was also no evidence to suggest plow foul play or accidental death. So there was just nothing actually the only observations that were made that they could definitively point out was that the man's pupils were slightly smaller than average and he had a little bit of spit that was escaping out of the side of his mouth um and that was it they were like i don't know what that means but it's there mm, yeah a little spit <laughs> yeah a little what? bit of spit right there like that's all what that's it <laughs> that's it that's the only detail all we have um they, they said in their official report that the man's death was probably caused by some unknown form of poison that was so far untraceable which you know huh. how what i think they how does poison go untraceable i don't know like I, I, I kept thinking back to Breaking Bad because, like, that's the show I'm watching right now. And um, he, they were trying to poison Tuco with some poison that was untraceable, like, could make it look like natural causes. Oh, so yeah. there are things out there, but how did the person that did this or how did he obtain this? Like, what? Because <laughs> at this point... It could be a murder, yeah. it could be a suicide, or it could be a complete accident. We don't even know. Uh, during the autopsy, they did find that the man was in, like, really good shape. Like, um, the autopsy technician even said, like, he was probably an athlete, he had very high calves, and he was, like, really fit. Hmm. The autopsy did, however, further uncover a very bizarre piece of evidence that confused authorities even more. Um, you know. Great. Great. Because that's just what we needed. That's exactly what we need at this moment. Mm -hmm. 
it was found that within the man's suit, there was a secret pocket within the lining. So, upon what? opening this pocket, they found a very small rolled up piece of paper that had been ripped from a book, and on the paper was written in Persian, Tamashud, which means nothing to you, but in English, <laughs> it says, it is finished. Hmm. Yeah, I don't... I, I don't know what that means. Okay. Yeah, uh, they were able to identify the book where the paper was from, though. So the page was found to be ripped out of a Persian poetry book um, that is the Rabayat of Omar uh, Khayyam. Uh, I may have just butchered that because it is in Persian, but I really tried to <laughs> get it right. Um, this book was later found to be thrown into someone's car who was parked near the Somerton Beach that night. So, like, someone had thrown the book that the guy had into someone's car, and then the guy in the car was like, oh shit, this is not mine. Hey. <laughs> um... When examining the rest of the book, there was no other writing in it, but there was a name on the back of it uh, and a phone number. So it presumably belonged to a Joe Thomason, um, who was a nurse at the time, a female nurse. Um, hmm. When questioned, the nurse that said that she had given a copy of that book to an Alf Foxel, um, it was determined that the body was not Alf's uh, when he arrived very much alive uh, with his copy of the book that was unripped. So, I don't... Is, something's going on there, because... <laughs> These names are really something. Yeah. First of all. Um... Well, we, we are in Australia, so a little bit different. <laughs> I mean, okay. What? <laughs> when I say that, I mean, like... These names are probably more common over there. Like Elf, Joe. True. Or a woman. Like, yeah. But that was just like a weird coincidence that they could not like explain away. Like, first of all, woman's had multiple copies of this Persian poetry book, which was weird. Second of all. Yeah. She said, I gave it to this man. And that was the one I gave it to most recently. And then that man shows up. He's like, hey, I'm fine, guys. Like, what? <laughs> I am not dead. And my book is chilling. Uh, yeah. And he has a book. He can produce a book that's not ripped. So, like, what yeah. the <laughs> Yeah. It's very, it's very confusing. And I will tell you, none of it is. Mm. Yeah. None of it is. Great. It's fine. You know. Um, perhaps the weirdest part of this piece of paper was when you turned it over to the back and when it was tested under a black light with iodine, they discovered jumbled letters that was believed to be some sort of code. So there's something written in code on the back. They're like, this is the only evidence we have. Yes. We have to do everything we can. <laughs> And the fact that there is actually invisible ink of, like... <laughs> and they got it right? Yeah. Like, is this national treasure? The lemon juice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That movie's so good. True. 
but yeah, it's literally national treasure, but also it's not satisfying because we don't even know what the code says. I'm um, sure. No, this added another layer of uh, mystery and intrigue to like everyone who was looking at this case. And it has this code has stumped ambitious code breakers for, like I said, it's 74 years. We still don't know what it says. Um, there is a former detective, Gordon Kramer, who was one of the most recent detectives to take a look at the code again and see if he could, you know, crack it, get some fresh mm -hmm. eyes on it. Um, and he has said that he believes he has cracked a portion of the code and that the writer was in a portion of the writing referring to a post-war British um, aircraft. More specifically, the Havald Venom, um, which is an aircraft that was used uh, post-World War II. Um, okay. If this is true, however, this would be especially interesting as the Havald Venom wasn't introduced until 1951, four years after the Summerton man's death. So... Why would he have a coded writing talking about huh. some post-war airship that's not even, that doesn't even exist yet. It's only on paper. Like, I, 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 I this man, <laughs> I, I don't know who this man uh, is, but why does he have all this information? Yeah. Why is he a time traveler? <laughs> I mean, in theory, if he was the a specific type of person, he could have that information. But it would mean mm -hmm. he has some type of intel, and why would he have that intel, you know? But there's there's literally no way to know. Exactly. Like, we have zero, <laughs> zero way to know. So, you know, why would he have this, some, this type of information? Did he die because of it? Was it just random and, like, part of his job? Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, this, yeah. you know, this just created more questions than answers, so the police were getting desperate at this point. Um, they took a full set of fingerprints from the Somerton man and circulated it around Australia, and eventually it circulated around the globe. These prints brought back absolutely nothing, which I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> because... Especially in 1948, um, it's just, we didn't have the, the technology that we do now, and also, like, you don't really have your fingerprints out there unless you do it as a kid, or, um, you're a criminal, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also printed newspapers with the man's photo that were circulated all around Australia in hopes that someone would come forward and claim him and be like, hey, I know that guy. It's this man. No one did. Um, beyond that, citizens of Adelaide were encouraged to come to the morgue to see the body in hopes that someone would recognize him like by seeing him in person. Uh, but again, mm -hmm. nothing. No one was saying shit. Damn. Yeah. So by January, the police had kind of run into so many dead ends that they decided to to expand their uh, search radius. 
So what this would mean is they would be looking at hotels, laundromats, train stations, a bunch of public places that they could search for lost items that could be evidence. They're really just scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Um, they're trying. They're trying. At least they're trying. Like, yeah, we we talk about other cases where it's like, well, you didn't do your job, so. <laughs> There are a lot of cases where we're just like, oh, this happened. And then they just didn't care. They just they just were like, didn't do anything. You know what? I, I, I think I'm going to take the day At off. At least in Australia, they're like, we, guys, we need to figure this out. We can't just... Like, who is this man? We, we can't just... <laughs> we can't just let this hang. <laughs> Please, someone tell me. Yeah. Uh, um... They actually did end up finding something. Uh, detectives found a piece of luggage left at a main train station in Adelaide. Couldn't find the name of the train station, so we'll just move on. Um, <laughs> it was said that this piece of luggage was discarded or left on November 30th. So, the day before our mans turned mm -hmm. up. Um, this particular piece of of luggage was intriguing to authorities because not only did it match up with the time frame that they had going, but the clothing within the suitcase was found to have all of the labels removed, just like the suit. So either this man had sensory issues or um, someone really didn't want someone to find this guy. Um, it was also confirmed that there was a spool of orange thread that was found in the suitcase. Uh, this was significant because the summertime man's pants were crudely fixed with the same orange thread. So they were like, this is most likely his suitcase. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the train station staff said they could not remember anything about the owner of the suitcase. So that was kind of a dead end. Uh, um, and there was, like, no evidence to tell us who this is from the suitcase. Uh, like I said, there were no tags on the clothing. There was no tags or markings on the bag that could be easily identifiable. identifiable sorry. Um, <laughs> all good. It, it was also found that although most of the clothing tags were removed, uh, three clothing items still had the tags in them. So, um when you read them, they either were inscribed with the name Keen, uh, K-E-A-N, or T. Mm -hmm. Keen. So, huh. we have a last name. <laughs> the first initial. Something, maybe. Um, though this was seemingly a big break in the case, uh, the finding of the man's identity through this evidence proved to be of little help to the investigation, as even though they had a name, who the heck, like, you just gotta go through a phone book and call everyone until someone yeah. claims this man? Like, it, it's kind of difficult, so, yeah. And, um, that's really all we have for this case. <laughs> um, that's not, No, 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 this isn't the end of the episode, sorry, we're gonna get into some okay. theories and stuff, um, but, like, like what? <laughs> that's the end of the proof that we have. Like, it's been 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do have some theories, and like I said, we had a big break in this case, so... Okay, okay. 
The mass publicity and overall mystery surrounding this case had led to several popular theories and speculations. You know, because when there's something like this, people got to theorize. Um, there's not a lot of evidence to support these theories, but, you know, there's not a lot of evidence in the case. So just know that, yeah. that some of these theories are going to get, like, insane. <laughs> like, okay, we're going all right. From... I'm, I'm prepared. Yeah, because, like... When you take the evidence of this case, there has to be some wild, crazy explanation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I said he was a time traveler, so I think we've gotten that out of the way. Yeah. No, I, I, I didn't type anything, but I feel like people would believe that. Like, I, I didn't find anything on that, but, like, I feel like you could swing that for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the most popular theories was that the summertime man was some sort of spy for the Cold War because um, <laughs> we're leading up to the Cold War. We're not in it yet. Yeah, it doesn't start till the fifties, but we're we're gearing up. <laughs> uh, this mainly stems from the evidence of the encrypted messages, the missing tags, and some untraceable poison possibly being the cause of death. This could kind of explain those pieces of evidence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what no one can seem to agree on, though, is uh, what side the Somerton man was on. That's what I was going to ask, is where does he come from then? Exactly. Like, <laughs> because, what? like, uh, Who's he? we have... That does not explain the note. It doesn't explain the note. Um, if... Which is the one piece of evidence. Yeah, if our detective guy is right, then he's talking about a British airship, which, like, where does that leave him? Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like if the note is, like, the one thing we have, it needs to interpret that in some way. Exactly, yeah. To be a valid theory. Yeah, and it's it's so hard to, like make anything fit because we don't know what that code oh, is. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, you, you know, it just... <laughs> like, <laughs> shit. No idea. It, it really is a, what is it, um, Zodiac Killer situation. Yeah. Well, yeah. that one was solved. So. That one was solved. So... Got him. <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, some believe that the van was a spy for the Soviet Union uh, who was discovered by Russian for forces and subsequently killed. Um, I don't know how the uh, interworkings of the spy network work um, or how they worked, yeah, especially in the 1940s. I think they kind of keep that secret. Yes, but like, wouldn't you <laughs> tell the police, like, hey guys, spy to know that. hey guys, we, we killed this one, just let it slide. Like, wouldn't you inform just law enforcement? <laughs> the fact that they went through so many measures, like, I, I don't know. Like, Fair enough. Like, this is not a normal person. No, not at all. Just, like, some, some dude. <laughs> some guy. Um, a similar theory to this would be that he is a Soviet spy that turned double agent, providing intelligence to Australia. And in this version, he's killed by the Soviets, you know, because of treachery. Um, 
And then we got the theories where he's an Australian spy who was discovered by Soviets and then killed. And lastly, there's one where they theorize that the man was an Australian spy working for the Soviets that committed suicide after being found out that he was like, you know. So he took all of this out himself. Yeah. He said, no one's going to find out who I am. Yep. He said, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. Um. These all seem pretty far-fetched in a way, but, like, again, we don't have a lot to go off of. But also, they kind of make sense. Exactly. Like, the note slash the manner of death, like, it could explain it. Yeah. Like, I can't explain that, but maybe being a spy, (laughs) that that would kind of make sense. Um, And then we have some more rational theories that are a little more mundane. You know, not as fun. Uh, yeah. uh, this would be like the theory that he possibly committed suicide. Um, you know, a depressed man, or maybe a man who's dying from some terminal illness, um, dresses up for the last time in his finest suit, goes off to the Australian coastline to watch the sunset and smoke one last cigarette before taking his own life. Um, you know, this theories haunting and a little intriguing but uh where the fuck did he how did he kill himself (laughs) yeah like there there would just and why would he go to the the lengths to cut out all of the tags and stuff if he was killing himself right like you you wouldn't do that in my opinion also i know not all suicides have a note but like wouldn't you leave a note? <laughs> you know. Especially if it was an older gentleman, like... Yeah, he probably has a family. What? He's got people around. He's got people. Like, where are they? No one claimed him. Where, where are they? Yeah, this has to be a situation where, like, the guy was under... Uh, I, I would say he's a spy of some sort. I would say he's under security clearance, so no one can really, like, claim him. Okay. Clearance, so no one can really like claim yeah. him. <laughs> I, I could see that. I could tell the spy theories are definitely the most intriguing, and they explain the most. I think the spy theories make sense. Yes. Um, and then there's the possibility of positional asphyxiation, which I think is also pretty intriguing. So, um, if you don't know, positional asphyxiation is when you are in a position where you asphyxiate. And die, sometimes. Um, Yeah. Uh, Some suggest that the man was simply enjoying a lie down in the sun when he fell asleep against the seawall. And in his slump position, it meant that his head went to his chest, which compressed his neck and constricted his breathing until he asphyxiated to death. Um, This theory would explain the lack of evidence found in the autopsy, as from my very limited research it shows that in most instances of asphyxiation um when they're you know being suffocated autopsy findings will be very minimal um mostly with like circumstantial things that could lead to asphyxiation but like not 100 percent um i did however not find anything about pupil deflation which is one of the abnormal things that were to be found in the autopsy so, hmm. I think you could explain the spit with this one, yeah. but the pu- the pupils being deflated, I, I don't know. 
And like I, he just didn't like the tags in his suit. Yeah. Like, again, the chat, it doesn't answer who this man is. Yes, he just <laughs> Please. had that piece of paper in his pocket. No. <sighs> yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then this next one, there's like zero evidence for it, but I thought it was funny. So I thought I would um, talk about it. <laughs> if you settled on he's a spy, then, you know, go ahead. Yeah, um, this one has to deal with horse doping. Um, some people oh. think that our man's was an illegal drug pusher and was killed oh. after trying to take down the operation. Walter White killed him. Uh, no, he got him. <laughs> Confirmed. Case solved. Yeah, we did it. It's we breaking it? bad in real life. All right, and then we have the theory that deals with the people who we were talking about before. Um, mm -hmm. so you remember Joe Thompson, uh, she had a son named Robin. Oh my Lord Jesus. Anyways. <laughs> so Joe Thompson, the nurse that we were talking about who had the blood, mm -hmm. she had a son named Robin, um, who had very distinctive ears and teeth, which were said to closely resemble that of the Somerton man's. Hmm. Uh, he was... Robin was born in 1986, and he enjoyed a career as a ballet dancer, which, if you remember, our body is athletic, has high calves, and could be a dancer. Uh, Joe ended up visiting the body and denied that the man was her son, so, you know. <laughs> could she not, like, really show her son and be like, hey, he's totally alive? No, see, the thing is, I think Robin did go missing, because, you know, people just went oh. missing a lot <laughs> and were never found. Or Damn. they could just disappear. Uh, mm -hmm. But she was like, yeah, no, that's not my son. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there are other people that take it a step further and say, hey, maybe the Summerton man is the father of Robin. And Joe didn't say anything about it when she saw the body because she was already courting someone else. She was already dating another gentleman. But um I don't know about that one either. Uh but basically this is where the case stood until about twenty nineteen. Let's get into this. Um this is when Derek Abbott first of all Gross <laughs> Sorry, we live in Texas in this political climate, so Anyone with the name Abbott, so sorry, but yeah, we'll, we'll call him Derek. Uh, not Derek, a fan. <laughs> Derek, a physician and electronical engineer, sorry, electronic engineer at the University of Adelaide, and Colleen Fitzpatrick, a forensic genealogist who specialized in using DNA to solve cold cases, took the case on for themselves. Hmm. So they were like, "Let's get down to business, bro." <laughs> um. They decided their best bet was to narrow down the man's identity with genealogy, which is the study of families, family history, and the tracing of lineage. So, using DNA to be like, hey, you're related to this person, so let's go back and find who you are. <laughs> uh, this is how they found the Golden State Killer, and I think also the Zodiac Killer, but don't quote me on that. Hmm. I might have used something different. It's okay. Um, yeah. Uh, 
they used a hair sample that was found from the Somerton man's death mask, which a death mask is a clay mask taken in someone's likeness after their death. Uh, oh. Apparently, that's a thing we used to do. I don't know if we still do it, but... Don't do it to me, thanks. <laughs> I don't need you to mold my face um... into clay, thank you very much. Um... <laughs> But yeah, they had a death ma- mask of the Somerton man, and there was a little hair caught in the death mask, and they were like, oop, I'm gonna pluck that out. <laughs> <laughs> so using the DNA that they extracted from the hair, they used uh, a website called GED Match, which uh, is an online service to compare DNA data files from different testing companies. Yeah, so it's <laughs> Exactly, it's kind of like that. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, And they were just trying to narrow down the pool of potential family connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, Through a GED match, they were able to find a distant cousin and were able to construct a comprehensive family tree consisting of over 4,000 members. So they were really able to get into this, which Mm -hmm. is cool as hell to me. (laughs) Um, From there, um, Derek, excuse me. Uh, Derek and Fitzpatrick used archived records to find biographies that could match that of the Somerton man. That is how the investigators found Charles Carl Webb. Okay. Um, Okay, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Colleen Fitzpatrick was quoted saying to the New York Times, in all of this soup of and ocean of DNA cousins, we were able to connect one of them to Carl's father and one of them to Carl's mother. You really need to narrow it down so much it could be any one of Carl's siblings, but Carl is the only one with no documented death. So, we could have our mans. <laughs> so let's find out who Carl, or sorry, Charles Carl Webb is. Um, he was born November 16th, 1905, five, not with a B, um, in a suburb of Melbourne, Australia. Webb was the sixth child of a German-born man and an Australian woman. In October 1941, a 35-year-old Carl, who was now an instrument maker, married a 21-year-old foot specialist, Dorothy Jean Robertson. Hmm. Uh, the last record, uh, the last historical record was in- of Carl's existence was in 1947 when Carl Webb left his wife. Um, no real explanation for that. He just said bye. Um, in October 1951, Dorothy filed for divorce on grounds of desertion because you know she was deserted. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, by, by the death of the Somerton man, Dorothy had moved from Melbourne to Butte, Australia, which is 89 miles away from Adelaide. Uh, this has led to speculation that Carl was on his way to reconnect with his estranged wife when he was mysteriously killed. Um, mm. This is great. But it still doesn't answer any of the questions no. of why he died. Like, thanks, but what? And the thing is, we don't have any photos of this man. We yeah. don't know anything about this guy because it was the 1940s. Mm. So we have a name. We don't have a face. Or I'm sorry, we have a name to match to the face, but it, it's still 
very murky. Yeah, there's uh, not much there. Yeah. It's also important to note that this case is still considered unsolved because the DNA came from the death mask rather than the body. So authorities are currently working towards exhuming the Silverton man's body to confirm this latest theory. Um, and that's all we got, guys. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Carl, first of all, I would just like to say, when I first started this case, I was like, oh yeah, I know that unsolved case. And then <laughs> I found an article, and it was like, hey, guess what? You know who this man is. And I was like, hmm. hang on. Oh, whoa, whoa. okay. So yeah. Well, uh, that was pretty cool probably <laughs> it, it's cool but then it's also like it doesn't answer anything because no. we don't know what Carl <laughs> was doing we don't know where the fuck he went like, why? Like, that's kind of why I think it's a security thing like no one can yeah. really say like I think they know I think you, there you is think an answer there, there's and like, there's like mm, we, can't say we can't say anything it's just right Carl now. <laughs> it's just Carl. We have Carl. Um, and then I think, I mean, he could still be like some sort of spy because, like, yeah, he, he left his wife mysteriously like a year before yeah. his death. So, just, like, random abandonment. Random what were you doing, Carl? Carl, <laughs> don't do that. Um, and then also. The complete possibility that um, that hair could have been from someone else that wasn't our man's. Um, it, it, you know, it's most likely from the Somerton man. And <laughs> it would make sense because he disappeared. Yeah. And was never found. So, yeah. I think it's him, but I think there's definitely more to the story. Um, but yeah. That was our case today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so short. It is, it is very short. Uh, there's not a lot of answers, but uh, yeah. this has always been a case that's intrigued me because it's just so... There's so many specific details that seem like they should lead somewhere, but they don't. <laughs> uh, we will see y'all next Next week, you can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Say What. You can send us an email at True Crime Say What at gmail.com. Uh, bye. <laughs>